Well, hello and welcome to The Mariner with me, Chris Stanmore Major. Now, in this episode, we're going to continue looking at abandonment and what to do when you have to get into a life raft and once you're in a life raft and what to do next. Um, it's taken us, this will be our fourth episode looking at this, nearly four hours of uh, looking at this single area. It's just one chapter in the book, but what a chapter it is. You think of it this way. Um, you spend all this time, all this money, all of this effort in making yourself as uh, aware as possible of how to operate your boat safely, um, keep your friends, crew members, uh, family, all of them uh, inside a bubble that you know you can protect them in. You know, when you're at sea, when you're moving in about the uh, marinas, you keep things inside of what you understand so you have the most possible chance for creating a successful outcome. And then you get into a situation where you have to get off the boat and you're faced with the biggest safety seamanship uh, situation of your life, literally life and death, and you're doing it in a boat that you've never seen unpacked, that you don't really know exactly what the inventory is, you have no particular training getting in and out of the thing, and you know very little about what its capabilities are or how best to make use of your time uh, once you're inside this thing. It's kind of incredible that the biggest challenge you ever had comes with a piece of equipment which you basically don't know. So I think that having four episodes looking at this is absolutely appropriate. Um, there's some nice illustrations in this book as always which uh, help to kind of tell the story so if you can get yourself a, a chapter of this it's available over on Amazon. There's a link in the description and I think it's uh, something as I say to have in the heads either uh, at sea or at home so people can just go through and uh, remind themselves of some of the the basics. Um, just before we get into that, I'd just like to remind you we have the other podcast, The Mariner's Library, where we read log books and sailing books that have lessons to impart from history, all non-fiction stuff. Well, in this week, which is uh, Joshua Slocum's birthday week, he was born on February the 20th, the day before my son, and uh, this book is all about Captain Slocum, his life, and what finally ended up happening to him. It's absolutely brilliant book, uh, well worth a listen. It's called The Search for Captain Slocum. It was published in 1956 by a guy called Walter Magnus Teller. And the interesting thing about this is that uh, Walter ended up going and actually meeting with people who knew Captain Slocum firsthand. Three of his children still survived in the 1950s when this was researched, as did his wife, Hetty, his second wife, who was able to give us a completely different view of the man than we've ever heard before. So I have read other biographies about uh, Slocum. Nothing has got the kind of detail this has. And so I think it's well worth a listen if you've got any interest in hearing about this unique person, you know, the kind of person that sets off solo around the world before solo around the world is even a thing is uh, always going to be an interesting kind of person. So uh, February the 20th is Slocum's birthday. The first episode of The Search for Captain Slocum is over on the Mariner's Library. It went out on the 19th of February. So if you fancy any of that, go and have a see what that's about. But let's get into it now with abandonment. <clears throat> kind of difficult to, to jump into the mindset required here. Remember last episodes we were looking at getting into the life raft and how best to do that and uh, then stabilize the situation, get the door done up, get the EPUB correctly located, uh, make sure... The people who are going to be coming with you are on board the raft and are secure and stable and looked after medically inside the boat. But all tray tables and seat backs are in the upright position. And then you'll be ready to set sail on a voyage of indeterminate length on the SS Oh Shit. All right, secondary actions. What to do next? 
be aware that there will be a great temptation to collapse into the life raft and relax. <laughs> I'm not sure that I would be suffering from that temptation. Uh, now's not the time to rest. I, look, there is a temptation definitely to get in and just, I imagine, just fall into a, a pile of crap in the bottom of the life raft and want to give up at that point. Um, calling that relaxing is uh, a little tongue in cheek. Um, it is definitely not the time to give in now. It's not the time to think, oh, now, you know, all of our solutions are made. We're just going to, uh, you know, you're not, you haven't got like launched a rocket that's going to take you back to the land. It's just you're in a, now you're in an even crappier boat and uh, it's going to need a lot of work to make this one work when the other one wouldn't. Um, get organized before the cold saps your strength and your ability to use your hands. Bear in mind, it's not always cold water. This is an RYA book, so they're talking about the North Sea, the Irish Sea, the English Channel, the Western Approaches, the Bay of Biscay, th those kind of parts of the world. It's not always like that. You do have areas of the world where you go into life rafts and it's uh, it's quite warm and nice. That can have its own problems, particularly if people are injured, if there's broken skin. Um, we can maybe look at that a little bit more in a in another episode where we're looking at what to do in, in hot water situations for these uh, when, you, when you get yourself into hot water. But in like hot climates and you're in a tricky situation, it has another skill set. But uh, here, certainly, if the cold starts to become part of the equation, it's a debilitating cycle. It'll grind you down and grind you down until in the end you won't have the mental fortitude to step forward and that then everything is lost. It says, uh, if anti-seasickness medication has not been taken before boarding the raft, open the life raft pack, find the anti-seasickness tablets and take them now. Everybody must take one. Even the hardiest of sailors is likely to be sick inside a raft. Be prepared. Take out one or two seasickness bags. Once someone is sick, everyone else is likely to be affected. Okay, so seasickness, yeah, we know that seasickness is definitely exacerbated the earlier early parts of it by people not breathing correctly and um, that limited amount of oxygen and increased co2 starts to make you feel quite nauseous uh, if you've got any kind of tension that you're holding on to in your stomach like nervous tension physical tension just the physicality of holding yourself in the life raft you're going to put an extra kind of like sensation into your stomach which added to the nausea from the co2 and the low oxygen levels inside the sealed now sealed up life raft all of it is a recipe for you uh, getting nauseous. If you've never been seasick in your life, it is possible that now is the time that this is going to happen, and it would there be therefore be very silly of you not to take a medication that can stop that physiologically occurring. Because if you empty the contents of your stomach, and then everybody starts emptying the contents of their stomach, the inside of the life raft is going to become a biohazard, right? If somebody has some fluids from their body get out people don't really like want to mix themselves up with it right if you're like talking about puke or pee or poo or something people don't want to interact with it well pukes in the same basket right or dripping out the bottom of it the point is that you can't allow it to happen and so pretending to be and it is pretending you don't know what the situation is you've never been in it before you're just kind of like glossing over the reality but saying i don't need one because i'm a, a, a pro sailor that's that's stupid Equally, in most situations on board a boat at sea, like taking a medication, you might get a headache from it and a very dry mouth, depending on what you take, if it's stewed you're on or quells or whatever. But not being sick, not having that mentally and, and physically on you is, is so much, so much a better position to be in at sea, so much clearer and so much better at problem solving. So take the anti-seasickness tablets, whether you do or don't uh, normally. They do take a couple of hours to kick in. So, you know, when the emergency starts, it occurs to me, 
start taking anti-seasickness tablets, right? Because if the emergency gets through to the point where you're in a life raft, you'll be ahead of the curve. And if it turns into nothing, well, what does it matter? You just, you had an anti-seasickness tablet, right? But um, also you can probably at that point use the supply which is on board the boat rather than using up the ones that are in the life raft. Okay, the book continues. Seasickness will cause not only physical and psychological debilitation, but also loss of valuable body heat and fluid. It may also mean the sufferer loses their medication before it takes effect. Yeah, just just avoid that. If you, you don't need to be in a life raft at sea with loads of puke going around. If you have an EPUB, tie the EPUB lanyard firmly to the raft, switch it on manually or place it in the water outside the raft and check that it is operating. The strobe on the top will also start to flash. The EPUB will transmit for 48 hours. If crew are carrying PLBs, personal life-saving beacons, keep them switched off in case you need them for whenever the EPUB's power runs out or if the EPUB is lost. Okay, so important. Let's look at the, the most important thing there, putting the, putting the EPUB in the water. Okay, people don't realize this. The EPUB floats and it has two little metal contacts on it so that when it's floating in water, it sets itself off. The best place for that antenna to be located is with the surface of the sea perpendicular to the center line of the antenna mast. That's when it will give the biggest possible bounce into the sky to get that signal up to the satellite and get your message on its way. It is no use having it tucked under your arm or in a grab bag inside the life raft. Whether the antenna's up and showing or not, it's still not working as effectively as if it worked where it's meant to be, which is outside on that string tied off to the life raft. Now, as we talked about previously, when we're dealing with knots and things to do with securing stuff in a life-saving situation, get somebody else to check it. Tie, just go round and round and round and round and round and round and round anything that's super secure and then do some hitches and knotting to tie it off. But that round and round and round wrapping massively reduces the load on the actual hitch and means that it's under minimal, uh, it has minimal desire to come undone. That's what you care about. It's nice thin line, the stuff you get on the EPUB. It's easy to make a knot in it and tie it off, but make sure it's secure, right? Because uh, it's still going to float just near where you are. It's equally hydraulically, well, it's probably more hydraulically locked for its size into the water than the life raft is. And the life raft has a lot more windage, but it's definitely going to still be on the same patch of ocean. The crucial thing with the EPUB is that it has the 406 megahertz signal, which is doing a kind of generalized here I am message, uh, including your GPS uh, location. And um, it, it is very, very useful for um, lifesavers to know where that signal was sent from but the raft will have moved since that message was received. So they also have a 121.5 um, transponder in them, which then allows rescuers to locate you in real time in the area using their 121.5 locator gear. So having it with you is brilliant, but getting the signal up is a key element. Uh, and I, that's why it's, it's almost better for it to be in the water and then lost, at least it'll send a clean signal, then be under your arm and still be with you and never send a signal at all. Um, it says next, the priority now is to get as warm and dry as possible. Absolutely right. Look, if you can get into the life raft and you're still dry, that means you have a nice air gap between your body and your outer shell. And that is the best insulative layer that you could possibly ask for. If you're in a situation where you've got wet, you need to get dry, get things wrung out as quickly as possible. And this is where you want to make sure that you have synthetic gear, wool gear, that is warm when it's wet, as opposed to anything based on cotton, certainly jeans, which can hold so much extra water that they are never warm when wet. 
Okay, so that's the key thing. Have the right equipment on underneath, and this is going to be not as bad as if you've suddenly jumped out of bed, thrown on a t-shirt and jeans, put on a life jacket, and then headed to the life raft, which unfortunately, of course, does happen. So um, we go here, bail out the raft. The baler provided maybe no more than a fabric scoop. They are often fabric scoops. It's actually possible for you to go to the people that pack your life raft and ask them to put the solid plastic scoop in because it is considerably more useful. Some rafts have a self baler fitted in the floor. Never seen that. And that would drain the water automatically. It says uh, if there's no self baler, bail out by hand using the baler and other containers such as a boot, a bucket or the salvaged life raft canister lid. I'd watch the canister lid because they can get damaged. They're fiberglass. You could end up like trying to bail a inflatable PVC floor with a piece of sharp fiberglass. That doesn't seem very smart, but um, whatever you've got, um, the boots is the main one or just a shoe. Just get the water out the raft. Use the portable bilge pump from your grab bag. Be resourceful. Well, I just threw that in. Okay, so they're expecting you to have a portable bilge pump, like having a, a stirrup pump, the old school one. If you haven't seen one for sale in a hardware store for a long time, check people who make equipment for kayaks and canoes and they'll make a stirrup pump, which is short enough that it will fit into the grab bag. The long ones you can get at the hardware store are excellent, but you're never going to get that into a, a normal grab bag. Um, the key thing is that whatever you take over the side with you is all you have and don't expect there to be much in that uh, life raft pack. The fact that the baler is made of fabric gives you your first indicator of the quality of the materials that are, that are in there. Okay. Um, it says use one of the sponges from the life raft pack to dry the floor of the raft. Remember to keep another sponge clean and fresh for fresh water collection. All good advice. But again, unless you've got this book with you in the life raft, you've kind of got a problem, right? Because you've got all this equipment and you've got to suddenly start using it in a very particular way and managing it in a particular way that you might not have any training for at all. So, yeah, you're going to have sponges in the life raft uh, pack. They are very hard, very mean little sponges. It's not like some giant like thing for lathering up your car with. Um, you can have other stuff added to the uh, life raft, as we've said this before, right? So what you can do is suck all the air out of a good sponge by putting it inside a plastic bag and then putting the vacuum cleaner on it and sucking it completely flat and then allowing that to dry whilst it's inside that pack. You'll end up with like a freeze-dried, um, very thin, like rag of a sponge but obviously once you add water this thing's going to become very useful in a way that the ones that they provide you are not getting the water out of the boat is so important getting the salt off your skin um, relieves things like you know what we'd call trench foot if it was 1914 and we were in france um, having this water immersion around your feet all the time can create massive problems if it's inside your clothing around your um, genitals things rubbing together the salt in there um, obviously in this kind of situation it's going to be very difficult to pee and defecate so that can all start getting mixed in with the water in the raft it can be pretty hideous inside a life raft if you're not doing any management of what's going on in there so i would say um, this kind of stuff yeah this is going to be the hardest seamanship uh, challenge you've ever had and uh, getting some ideas beforehand of what all those random bits of equipment in the life raft bag are for um, is, is a very key piece of uh, advice not least that one of the sponges should be kept for fresh water collection like who knew hey it says applied first aid to those that require it <clears throat> everyone is likely to be suffering from shock and to be cold in addition to injuries 
Shock is always this thing that uh, we talk about. There's like psychological shock, which is your mental like lack of capacity to function after some big shocking event has happened, that you're stunned, okay? Shock is also like volumetric shock when you've lost so much blood that you're in volumetric shock, that you're at a, a life-threatening moment where if something's not done with you, then, um, you know, you're going to pass away. The other kind of shock, the kind of like stress shock, it, you know, hot sugary drinks are brilliant. You can make a cup of tea while a boat is sinking, Okay, don't don't go crazy thinking like this is just that's it. We just write everything off. Going into the life raft of the hot thermos could be very good for that first night. And the sugar um, that you're not allowed to have from the life rafts uh, um, bags and the, the the gear that's on board there, sugary snack for people that have had a big phys you know, uh, physical shock and a mental shock, that can be a game changer just to get everybody on board with the um, the plan. So whilst you have to be very, very cautious with the rations that are in the life raft and anything you've taken with you, um, you can also stuff your face full with crap that you pick up on the boat before you get into the raft because you should always eat what you can when you can. You should always sleep when you can. They should always take the opportunity to keep you the the machine that's most important at the center of this the skipper's mechanism that's going to save everybody else make sure that's tip top so when it says don't eat anything for the first 24 hours yeah once you're in the raft but you can fill yourself up with stuff before you leave the boat that would otherwise be lost and it might allow you to get through the psychological effects with shock which can be so uh, difficult to 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 perceive in yourself and to work through because you just everything's on shutdown because of the nature of what's just happened to you um, it says collect sharp objects and weapons, knives, multi-tools, etc. that could damage the raft um, or be used to harm or threaten anyone when rations become short and tempers fray at a later date. Wow, that escalated quick. And in fact, <laughs> looking at the um, looking at the bag that they're all uh, handing uh, stuff into here in the little uh, diagram, there's like quite a lot of pen knives and then it's like big sheath knife has gone in there. So Thank goodness we've <laughs> thank goodness we've disarmed machine gun Terry in the corner there. Um, yeah, look, it's a very fair point. It it will escalate quickly when people realise that oh, this is not just an adventure that we're having for the weekend, like type two fun. You know, it'd be difficult now, but good later. If you're going to be in this life raft for four or five days and you've only got a couple of days with the food, um, people will get frayed tempers very quickly. It's not like tempers fray two weeks in. If you'd have been living in the 1800s and have had lots of experience of being in situations of privation you probably can hold it together a little bit longer but when you've been living in the 21st century in name the place where you live and you're not used to being hungry for five days or having your meals rationed out by somebody who you you know never liked them when they were on the boat and now they're in charge of the life raft this kind of stuff can lead to violence so taking things off people is very important we used to have something in the um in the navy which is called the seven day bitch and uh it was not just it wasn't aimed at any particular gender of people it was the fact that anybody after seven days on a boat can suddenly get to a point if they're that way kind of built that their um the, the facade drops and they become who they really are or they become like a kind of like weird twisted grinch version of who they are um, which is caused by stress and you know the, the movement of the vessel and seasickness and all this kind of stuff of course and they just start to exhibit really unexpected and and very negative behavior so you don't need that in the life raft so yeah remove stuff that uh, could be uh, helpful for them to take over the life raft and uh, and then well then do what with it of course is the problem you're going to hold on to it you can throw it in the water you might need a multi-tool later like there are no 
dead set answers here, but certainly Machine Gun Terry in the corner should probably be removed from that um, violin case he's snatching to his chest so seriously. Um, going on here to the end of this first page, it says, uh, ring out wet clothing and put it back on. Huddle together for warmth. Don't be shy. Um, yes, ring it out. Ring it out as well as you have ever rung anything out in your life. And I guess that brings us to a point, do you know how to ring something out really, really well? Do you often ring out clothing? That sounds ridiculous to have to say that, doesn't it? But people don't necessarily have the skill set of knowing how you like twist things up and then grab hold of the ends of the thing you've twisted together and twist it further and then fold it in half and twist those. And I can get something like so dry that by the time I've flapped it around and beat it on things and all the rest of it, it's very, very dry going onto my body because I've spent a lot of time doing that. People I see also like wringing out clothing to put it back on is still absolutely saturated. So... You know, if you haven't before, take a hand towel, saturate it completely in the sink and then try and get as much water out of it as you possibly can. And uh, however much water you've got out, I uh, put it to you that I can get more out. <laughs> there you go. That should <laughs> instill some uh, sense of uh, uh, some competition there. But as soon as you're as dry as humanly possible, you've got to start sharing body heat. And sharing body heat is kind of like one of those like, oh, we're going to be having a cuddle kind of things like it's it's like almost a joke right it's not a joke when the calories and heat are the only things that you require to live and you can share them but then your social constraints stop you from doing that and you all die of hypothermia in your little plastic bags body heat is inefficiently transferred between one body and another when there's loads of layers of insulating fabric between if you get enough people together you can, you can get going if you can get even two people closely enough together, life jackets off, get as close to being, you know, skin to skin as you can within the confines of the situation and still have a protective wrap of something around you that's going to keep you warm. At that point, you can start to make big inroads into lifting someone's core temperature who's close to hypothermic. But remember, the person that's doing the warming is going to equally cool down. And if you're trying to push someone's body temperature back up by two or three degrees, the person that's providing the heating, they their core temperature may drop by a degree and a half, which is going to have its own effect on them. So you need to take it in turns as much as you can. And the person that's doing the heating, they need to subsequently be heated by somebody else so as to kind of restore some sense of balance. So you must make a decision here about like, are we going to worry about things like, uh, you know, taking jackets off and snuggling each other? If you haven't been in these kind of situations before, you'd be amazed how the stupidest parts of civilization's rules carries through and uh, starts to become a, a, an impediment to a situation you could otherwise get through. If you can have five people in a life raft huddled closely together through the night, it's not that bad. You have five people sitting in a circle looking at each other because they work in an office together and they never had to do anything like that together. They're going to be very cold and very miserable. So... You have to sort of decide beforehand. Maybe you could bring it up, you know, as you're leaving the marina with folks as to find out what, uh, how many layers of clothing they're willing to go down to if we get into a life raft situation. It might, you know, be an icebreaker. Um, it says your main heat loss is by conduction through the raft floor. Some floors have thermally reflective surfaces, but others need to be inflated with the bellows. Take care not to pump water into the floor. Insulation can also be provided by sitting on salvaged bunk cushions, fenders or conditions permitting inflated life jackets. Sitting on your inflated life jacket, I suspect, is not a very good idea because any piece of equipment that happens to have got free in the life raft, entered the life raft unexpectedly, something on your belt, 
you know, some piece of damage or what have you suddenly comes along and uh, gets into that uh, life raft while you're sitting on it. Sorry, that life jacket while you're sitting on it. It's going to be it's, it's possible to pop it. OK, it's possible. If you have those foam life jackets that we talked about, having that extra pack of them on board the boat and then chucking them in the life raft so that people are not having to wear their inflated life jackets, you could sit on those, couldn't you? That seems like that would be a good idea. But as it says, um, the bunk cushions, that's kind of a good idea. They're pretty big. Um, they might end up being a bit more of a, a water trap than perhaps you're expecting. But cushions, blankets, uh, particularly like uh, newer style um, fleece blankets, polyesters, things that again won't uh, hold water, they could be chucked in. That'll make a massive, massive difference. Um, the the key thing, as it says, is that the main heat loss is down through the floor. If it's cold water, you've only got the heat lo the the heat protection of the inflated floor. Whether it's a self-inflating floor, or you've got to do it yourself. Just know what your piece of equipment's about and how you might do that. But um, being able to lift yourself up off that, like a camper on a camp mat, to keep themselves off the floor, absolutely crucial. Because if the sea temperatures five or six Celsius, that is going to start sucking heat out of you very very quickly. Uh, the World Sailing ISO 9650 Part 1 Type 1 and Solas Rife Life Raft Packs, which we talked about in another uh, installment of this actually, include a number of thermal protective aids. Aha, we mentioned that, didn't we? That will reduce the body's evaporative heat losses. Thick plastic bags, large bin liners, or the salvaged life raft polythene wrapping could also be used. Plastic is very, very important. It can really protect you in these situations. Um, where else might you get it from on board the boat? You know, as it says, things like black plastic bags, garbage bags, very, very useful for um, holding equipment, holding clothes, holding um, food that you might have brought onto the boat, uh, wrapping yourself around it. You can just uh, put your legs inside of a bag to because your feet get cold inside the boots. The boots aren't very uh, thermally um, protected. You can put it over and around your hands. You can put it over as a kind of like a smock, like get invest, you know, inventive. And um, you can suddenly uh, lift your whole situation if your hands are not getting cold if your brain's not getting cold if your muscles are not seizing up from the cold and being inside the life raft you've got a much better chance of uh, dealing with every other part of the work that comes with being in a life raft and it has boxed in here as a big statement for this page is keep your head warm so much of our heat is lost out through our head it has such a disproportionately large effect on what's going on Always have hats nearby. Always take a hat into any kind of situation where you're going to be exposed because if the brain starts to slow down, gets too cold, everything starts going wrong and uh, you, you cannot save yourself. So keeping your head warm, keeping your hands warm so you can then you know manipulate the environment around you, also very, very important. But if you're talking about the most basic element of, um, of, of survival in this kind of situation, yeah, keep your head warm is definitely there. And keep breathing is the other one, right? Locate the pressure relief valve stoppers and put them in place to prevent leakage through the valves. OK, check for leaks. So when the life raft inflates, there's going to be all this kind of gas venting off because the volume of gas inside the cylinders is much more than the raft needs to be fully inflated. So the pressure release valves help to dump that. As we said before, if you know how to get the um, cylinder uh, turned back to the uh, closed position during the inflation process, once it's inflated, then you can save some of that gas you know, all strength to you. But if not, just recognize that the pressure release valves that uh, were part of that initial inflation process, there are stoppers there. They're often by the, the front door of the raft. You put those in and it just means that that slightly open 
method that is available for the gas of getting out of the life raft is closed off in a very solid manner. You put that little stopper in place and then it's as sealed as if you had uh, the stopper in on the side of your dinghy or something, you know. So you don't want the valve just exposed and somebody accidentally shove something in there and then discover that the life raft's going around. My God. Um, a leader who may not be the skipper will emerge. That's very true. And I would say don't try and push that it is the skipper because if they didn't like you before and you've lost the boat, they're not going to like you anymore now and they might not want to trust you. So um, have the care and the sense to just see like what happens next. You may find that somebody who's got much better mothering and bedside manner than you have is able to be more use certainly in the initial stages people who have been mothers have been parents are much better at like um, looking after folks perhaps than the person who is best skilled at um, maneuvering the vessel because you can do one doesn't mean you can do the other and let's be honest unless you've been in a life raft before all you've got is listening to this reading some books and paying for the servicing on the life raft you're no more qualified than anybody else at this point so if somebody else starts to come through as being the leader, then see how that goes is the is the best idea. It may be the fittest person with the most sea survival knowledge. Their job is to organize the crew and resources effectively and to make sure everyone believes they are going to be rescued. Again, that episode I did on the um, the effects of uh, psychology and the, the will to survive that's a pretty underrated episode. It didn't get that many uh, listens. Maybe I didn't do the best job of presenting it. But regardless, that element of having the will to survive comes up again and again and again in this sort of stuff where we're training and also over on the Mariner's Library when I'm reading accounts of people surviving, you know, real near death experiences. Having the will to survive is sometimes more important than having the knowledge to. Um, it's important that everyone works as part of a team to increase the chances of survival and keep each other's morale up. This is now a game where we all play the game of, I hope we're going to survive. I think we're going to survive. We should survive. This is going to be all right. I've been in worse than whatever. You just have to keep talking like that the whole time. And there is no point in trying to get over what happened with the boat or throw blame around for that or worry about things might go wrong or all the rest of it you have to fully engage with the reality at this point imagine reality that you're going to be rescued and then you have to find all possible ways to stitch that imagined reality into actual reality where then a boat turns up so you're going to have to potentially be in a life raft for a long time so there's no point bringing a negative emotion into it it's just going to make it a much worse place but some people are not going to be able to help themselves and certainly when they've got over that initial bits where they're kind of just stunned as to what's happened in you know we say like in shock but in you know psychological rather than volumetric shock they may start kind of rallying and reverting back to other behaviors or may revert to behaviors you haven't seen before as elements of their personality start to shine through and recognizing they're in quite a desperate situation they can show pretty desperate behavior so be aware of the fact that everyone's job now is to keep morale up there's no point in being negative and that the chances of survival for everyone are increased if this can be quite a positive space despite the situation. It says uh, no recriminations. There will be plenty of time for that after you've been rescued. That does sound a little bit passive aggressive. <laughs> but, you know, there will be a legal process afterwards, which when things can come out if they need to. For now, 
we just get on with it. And if you've got people that are on board who have been first responders or been in the military, so much the better because they know what an emergency is. They've trained for them. They've lived through them. Um, they are absolute stalwarts of this kind of situation. If you're with people who haven't been through emergencies or training for emergencies previously, they can be a little rudderless in this situation. So having structure, even nominating different people for different jobs, like the morale officer, the water officer, the food officer, like all that kind of stuff. It's a bit tongue in cheek, but it does give everybody a sense of purpose. It sets responsibilities, it creates a structure, and it can help bring people to a positive place mentally, rather than just all sitting in the life raft, bouncing around, shouting each other freezing cold. It says here in another blocked out box, like it must be important, the will to survive is paramount. Avoid despair. Keep morale high. Very important. Oh, now this guy in this next picture is standing up and reading a book. So he looks pretty, uh, he's got quite a like firm look on his face, but uh, he is standing up reading a book. So let's see how this is about. Read the survival notes in the Life Raft instruction booklet. Buddy, if they don't read the instructions for anything else, they're not going to read them in the Life Raft unless they're really desperate. Plus, they're not written on plastic a lot of the time. They're written in a little paper in a little plastic bag and they all fall apart so um but if you have anything on board you can refresh your memory bear in mind that like this book this RYAC survival handbook could be cut into pieces laminated in a couple of hours and might be big enough small enough whatever to get into the life raft pack having notes with you absolutely essential or of course just carry a little sd card and some kind of something to play it on of the mariner podcast and it'll be there for you It'd be great. Um, establish a routine as soon as possible. If there are sufficient crew, put two people on watch for between 20 minutes and two hours, depending on the weather conditions. Make sure the watch system is fair. Absolutely. Read the survival notes. Yeah, we said that some life rafts will have stowage pockets on the canopy tube high above the water. You can stow equipment there that needs to be kept dry in resealable bags. That's very useful. Yeah, I didn't know that myself. Might have uh, pockets up high to keep things. I wasn't actually aware of that. That's pretty useful to know. Although I don't think you're going to be keeping like your 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 tobacco and your papers up there. I think it's more going to be probably I would imagine the medical kit would like to go up there. Uh, what else could you put like a torch or something for instant use? Like it's going to be tricky to try and divide up spaces in a life raft between dry and not dry. But if there is something uh, in the arch that's there as a waterproof uh, repository, that could be very beneficial. Uh, maybe just an emergency piece of uh, clothing in case you get absolutely freezing to have uh, some gloves or a hat up in that uh, stowage space could be quite useful. Okay, continuing down the page here, it says an outside watch should keep a lookout for ships, aircraft, other survivors and dangers. They must be fully briefed on signaling with flares, heliograph and VHF. Um, that can be quite a useful role, both from a um, point of view of getting rescued, you know, firing flares and that kind of stuff and using the heliograph. The thing that could be a concern is if people were there for too long and then morale starts to dip with the person who's just constantly looking out at the at the sea. So I would be very, very uh, limited on time. It says 20 minutes. Um, I think that's absolutely appropriate. 20 minutes doing something and then rotate to the next thing and then rotate to the next thing. So 20 minutes keeping the inside of the raft dry, 20 minutes having a look out the window, 20 minutes uh, playing a game or something that uh, you've come up with. They do say that with the grab bag, it's very useful to put a couple of packets of cards in there, a little, uh, some those plastic wet note uh, things you can write on with a pencil in any conditions, just so there's something to distract yourself with because uh, distractions make time move quickly 
And obviously fear and tension make time move very, very slowly. And if you're trying to increase morale, then things that shift time along are going to be very useful to you. Somebody looking out of the little, there's a kind of like a little um, snorkel on a life raft, a little uh, tube of material, which is easy to cinch off so that it's you know somewhat waterproof. But then you can undo it and stick your head out through the tube and get your binoculars up if you brought those with you and, uh, and see who might be about. But <clears throat> pushing somebody out there um, for too long could certainly um, get them very cold on their extremities um, and, and, and get them very cold in their soul if they're just looking at the horizon and there's there's nobody out there. So be careful with that. Um, inside watch should keep the raft inflated, treat and look after casualties, collect water, bail out, etc. Absolutely. Switch off the life raft light during the day to preserve its power. It may seem very dim, but to a search and rescue helicopter or lifeboat's night vision goggles, it will stand out for miles. Switch off and save life jacket lights. You may be able to use them when the life raft light fails. Okay, so newer life jacket lights have LEDs in them. If you get something like the um, uh, Spinlock Vito life jacket, note over on uh, YouTube, there's a gear review for that particular life jacket. It's had a lot of views. Um, it has a little uh, light that's an LED that uh, is on actually a little antenna, which makes it stick up above the um, the bladder of the life jacket in a way that's more successful than I've ever seen with any other um, come and get me light. Um, those ones last forever, very, very long time, but most of them are water activated. So again, if the inside of the life raft is uh, wet and you keep getting splashed on your um, little light on your life jacket, it's going to use up the battery and it's just a very kind of out of control, undignified, unseamanlike place to be, which cracks the soul and cracks the morale of people who are thrown into it. If there's uh, you know, all kinds of mess in the water and ill people groaning and people shouting at each other and the lights are flashing and you can imagine. So, um, yeah, trying to get things under control. It's not that the control per se will necessarily create success. You know, they're not going to be handing out points for how well you keep your life raft, but the structure is very fortifying and people whose uh, spirit is fortified and uh, they're not sitting in cold water and mentally they're not stressed out and they've got rationed food, they know when it's coming. Those people, those people last longer. So that's where you want to move things to as, as quickly as you can. Solas rafts have an inflatable radar reflector. Wetting the canopy may also increase the radar reflection range. Research suggests it is better not to use a radar reflector and SART at the same time. Yeah. So if you've got uh, an inflatable uh, radar reflector, it's going to be casting off a pretty scattered uh, radar reflection. Um, it's going to have uh, inflatable uh, sort of ball which has got these flat aluminum plates inside it which when they when it comes up to full inflation create a lot of right angles that reflect uh, radar signature back if you can think of it as you're going into the life raft um, and you have nothing else to hand take a couple of black garbage bags and a roll of aluminum foil with you because you can ball the aluminum foil up into pretty big balls you know not not, not too not too tight but kind of like big football sized um, loosely packed um, balls of, uh, of, of foil put them inside the black plastic bags and attach that to the roof it won't work in high winds obviously um, that creates enough of a radar reflection for you to be spotted certainly your biggest issue is the fact that you're low down so anything you can do to, to raise that up is much much better it says to wet the um, the, the canopy of the tent 
okay, maybe, but you know, that's like saying we're going to get a radar reflection from the fact that the hull is wet and the decks are wet on a fiberglass boat. The sails being wet can help the reflection of the radar a little bit, but it's uh, it's pretty tenuous when you're trying to use that as a, you know, talk to a race committee or something, say my radar reflector is the fact that my sails are wet. It doesn't work that well. So do do whatever you can, but uh, try and be logical and try and be transparent with the people in the raft. I'm doing this. It may not be you know much, but it's something. Uh, I'm not putting all my luck on it. Let's let's try and get to the next thing and uh, hope that that is, uh, you know, we create a chain of things that lead to our survival, not just that one or the other is going to be it. Um, a problem with the life raft is very, very low. You know, if you go over the side into the life raft and you haven't had a man overboard during it and you have a Dan boy, take the Dan boy with you. It's got a big, long stick on it. Take the boat hook with you. Take the inflatable Dan boy. Anything that's going to give you a little bit more height is really going to help. And think like a search and rescue pilot and a search and rescue team. As you've learned just there, the um, night vision goggles will pick up even quite a small light very, very brightly. The way that they're magnifying all available light, even something on a life jacket is going to look pretty bright to people looking down at the surface of the ocean with uh, night vision goggles on. So so do whatever you can, even if it's small stuff. And that's going to create an overall attitude and atmosphere and ethos in the raft that we're doing everything we can. And I say staying transparent with the crew about what's happening. Very, very important. Get them involved in it. But ultimately, you're the skipper. You make the decisions. The buck lands with you or the person who's in charge of the life raft. As we said, it might not be the skipper. You're the skipper of the life raft. Like, you know, that might not be the same person as the skipper of the boat, but um, you still got to act with the same consistency the same positivity and driving the entire team towards a success um look uh, after the look after the vhf the epurb and the plb and flares since they are probably your best means of location by rescuers absolutely save the vhf's batteries remember that its range is limited if conditions allow stand up when using the vhf to increase its range that is particularly when it's uh, trying when you're trying to hit another vessel that's on the surface of the sea. VHF operates pretty much line of sight. Um, certainly when you're in a situation where you're using a handheld VHF, it's not going much past your visible horizon. But if there's an aeroplane that's 40 miles away, that's higher than the horizon, like a lot higher than the horizon, go for it. See if you can get a signal to them. It's possible um, and you won't need to stand up for that. It's just if you're trying to communicate with folks that are on the water, any kind of height is very, very helpful. As we know, the VHF transmissions and reception at the top of our masts on our boats are far in excess of whatever you can do with a handheld radio on deck in a life raft it's even worse but when you see an aircraft up in the sky or you see a ship that is hull down still on the horizon but their superstructure is above the horizon their antennas above the horizon they can probably hear you so a ship can probably receive a vhf transmission from you even with a handheld when it's like 15 miles away as long as a direct line of sight looking after these bits of equipment is absolutely key. Bear in mind that people are going to be pretty out of their minds. It's going to be water sliding around. There's going to be slippery conditions, cold hands. It's just so awful to to lose something over the side. If you lose the EPUB over the side, as we said, that's not the most awful thing to lose over the side because it's um <clears throat> you know it's still hydraulically locked into like where roughly where you are. But over time, that error between its position and your position is going to increase. But losing that's not the worst one. 
the PLBs, the personal life-saving beacons, they are, you know, that isn't going to be doing anything. It goes over the side of the raft. It's not switching on and helping you out like the EPUB would. It's just sinking or at very best floating below the surface with its antenna still stowed and the thing not activated. So maybe they're the kind of thing that goes in that upper, uh, higher positioned um, uh, pocket if you can get hold of that. If you've got a PLB, probably keeping it on your person, I would imagine, or in a pocket or something like that might be worthwhile. There's not much stamping around going on in a life raft that you're going to lose it. And they're waterproof anyway as is the VHF, but things can get accidentally turned on and suddenly when you need them, they're gone. So um, as always, the grab bag is the place, we kind of main repository for things that you're bringing onto the boat. It's not particularly watertight, but everything that's inside, it should be things that can be exposed to water because it's either inherently waterproof, something like a heliograph, or you've got it inside of little Ziploc bags. Everything should be Ziplocked away. But it would be my opinion that you don't have the flares in there because that bag is too easily perforated by kind of anything. It's too easily saturated. It's too easily crushed. It's not the right place for something that is explosive as flares are. So the plastic tubs that you can get, all sorts of different um, varieties. I was calling BDHs, the British drug house used to sell the white ones with the red lids, but you can get the yellow ones with the red lids that are specifically from flare, for flares. They float, they're easy to see, they're robust they are everything's good about them and things that are inside them are dry 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 so that's a great place to put your flares your smoke signals and um, like your dye package uh, the dye packages are very small they're useful I'm sure they'll come up in this uh, a little bit later on but the dye packages again can be seen by the crews of search and rescue aircraft who can see the dye with the ultraviolet uh, goggles that they've got that perceive ultraviolet light and um, although you won't be able to see much of it from the water, uh, when you're in the water, it is super useful. So you don't want to lose it. And that package is only about the size of um, like half a packet of cigarettes, right? They're not, they're not big and it's easy to lose them. And then easy to lose them in all the pockets on a grab bag and uh, in your pockets on your jacket or inside the life raft. So if they're just inside that big plastic tub with the flares and the smoke, that kind of grouping makes sense to me. And they're always easy to to get hold of. Um, avoid urine retention because it could have some serious consequences later. Urinate within two hours of boarding the raft. Females, female survivors may prefer to use the baler. Take care not to fall in if urinating out of the entrance. Ask other survivors to hold your life jacket straps. You know, we want to still create a situation where there's respect for each other and there's uh, a little decorum. Um, certainly there are requirements of male and female um, survivors may be different. Also, if you've got someone who's very large body weight, they may have problems urinating because they'll be so top heavy when they're on their knees that they will not have the strength to support themselves on their knees on an inflated raft floor that they won't be able to do it. So um, think of, you know, solutions that help people's uh, self-respect and dignity. Um, I would not have people going into the water to relieve themselves from the coldness, from the separating from the raft, for all the above obvious reasons. Um, certainly, guys, you can lie on your side and, and pee into a bottle or something like that. Um, it should be a skill set you kind of have as a sailor anyway. It kind of comes up sometimes. For the girls, it's a little bit different. You can have devices which are helpful, like a shiwi or something like that, kind of almost a, a bit of a, a joke in some circles, but not if you're in a situation where you've got to take off all of your super warm underlayers 
in a life raft just to have a, a pee. So hopefully girls listening to this, although the statistics say no girls anywhere listen to this podcast. So <laughs> if there is somebody listening who's not actually a 50 year old uh, guy, that would be great. Um, you know, please do drop me an email, csmthemariner at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your experience and ideas about how this might go down as a woman. One thing I'd say is if you're not aware of it already and guys be aware of like what's available to make the rest of your family comfortable. You can get um, uh, salopettes, waterproof salopettes for women specifically that have straps that crisscross at the back and then allow the seat of the pants to be dropped with two zips on either side, which makes going to the toilet much, much easier for women. And it means that um, you're not having to lose all of your heat in a survival situation to do that. But just in normal life, it makes it much easier. Um, I've actually ended up in a situation doing a transatlantic trip where I didn't have my um, my uh, salad pets on board the boat. And we had a set of large ladies, I think Henry Lloyd um, uh, salad pets, and uh, they were fantastically good. It felt a bit different around the shoulders. It didn't quite have the bulk to to uh, to to not feel tight wrapped around my shoulders but a guy's lats are different from a woman's lats you know but other than that they're absolutely fantastic and I took advantage from my own education of the fact it's got two zips on either side and suddenly I'm in the bathroom having you know a full-on experience with number two um, with still wearing my salopettes over my knees and everything else it's like from a everything point of view it's better it's like it should be the design for all salopettes everywhere because you can just pull up your jacket you know unzip the jacket a bit from the bottom pull down the salopettes do what you need to do and put everything back together it's just as bad being a guy when you have to do that as a girl but the girls obviously got to do it pretty much every time they go so be aware of what's available be aware of how you might use that in an emergency situation on a life raft the key thing is that people don't get unsteady and fall out through the door um but the you know the the other thing is that their own self-respect starts to go downhill and uh, that leads to this loss of morale which as it keeps saying everywhere throughout this book believe me or not ends up being the most important thing um, and obviously having people hold on to you if you are urinating out through the, the door or something forwards or backwards male or female very very important you cannot reabsorb urine from the bladder urinating will not increase your rate of dehydration try to get rid of urine overboard its smell can cause nausea avoid urinating in your clothes since cross infection could cause problems later okay if you're urinating in your clothes then and your clothes are in the raft where we're talking about the fact we have to bail all the time you're basically urinating into the raft it's just going to take a little bit longer to dribble out through the bottom of your trousers or out through whatever piece of clothing you've got on as it says you can't reabsorb water back from the bladder what it doesn't say is that water held in the bladder is heat held in the body body which in extreme situations you can <clears throat> you can look to that you might have a hundred mil of uh, of extra heat in there but you know not to the point where you're in any kind of level of discomfort it's just saying don't pee as soon as you feel like peeing you could keep hold of that heat a little bit longer but as soon as you get to a point where i don't know if you've ever like really pushed it to the absolute edges of what is possible with the human bladder like i think we've all felt that way as children as adults maybe don't allow ourselves to get into that situation anymore but um, you can get to a point where it's then like getting difficult to um, urinate. You've been holding on to it for so long, they'll actually find it difficult to start to go. And not too far after that is get to a point where you cannot urinate. So you do not want to be getting into that. So just even if it's an awful thing to have to do, you're going to have to make some kind of plan so these things can be dealt with. And that, of course, leads on to 
a bowel movement is not uncommon. You will probably not need to do it again if you're not ingesting food or fluids. Um, that's a, a key element in this. I don't know if you've ever had like a really big shock, a physical shock, a psychological shock. Sometimes the body is part of the fight or flight mechanism. It just empties out the, the bowels like ready for whatever's next. You know, I don't need to do that action right now. I'm going to use all available sugars for fighting, flighting or whatever, whatever it is that we're going to be doing here. The point is that you should kind of be expecting that's going to happen. How you deal with that, it's problematic. It's very problematic. Try and remember to take toilet roll with you onto the boat, not necessarily because it'll be so useful, but because it might give the impression of being useful. Personally, I would personally I would do this. Take the wet wipes with you into the raft. They won't fall apart in the water. You can clean a lot of mess up with a wet wipe. If you ever looked after an adult full-time care or looked after a child very similar, um, you can clear up a holy load of poo with a load of wet wipes, right? And get it out and away. We will be dropping uh, polypropylene-laden uh, wet wipes into the water. Yes, we will. And we'll um, be paying some money to you know, save our seas or someone thereafter when we've survived. But what we have to do is not have cross-contamination between the contents of one person's body and other people's bodies. And we have to maintain dignity so we have morale so we can survive. And we have certain physiological um, realities that we have to deal with. Otherwise, uh, the whole lot's going to grind to a, a stop here. So don't get caught up in silly details now. Um, a couple of packs of wet wipes is hundreds and hundreds of wipes. You can clean wounds with them. You can clean up any mess that's in the raft, mess that's on people. You can clean blood with them. You can do all sorts of stuff and then, then they won't fall apart in your hands. Everything else in the medical kit like um, sterile gauzes, all that kind of stuff, it's all going to become waterlogged, soaked and uh, a real mess very, very quickly. So consider perhaps that uh, those might be uh, your best option if your push comes to shove and you're actually having to clean out clothing that you were previously in because you've taken a movement in them. Okay, protection, it says. Where are we getting up to here? 53 minutes. We've still got quite a few pages to go. There was part of me that wanted to finish this uh, today, but um, if I can, can I uh, advertise the next one? Because I know otherwise, at the moment, we've got about 250 people, maybe a bit more, 300 people listening to these. It's about a half or a third of what uh, used to listen to this podcast, and I am coordinating with Apple because there seems to be an issue with... Um, subscribing some people it makes their um podcast uh, uh the apple podcast app crash on their phones on their tablets something certainly happened to the way that uh this podcast is uh dealt with by apple specifically and that means that we haven't got as many people as you used to have they'll turn up in the end they'll find their way back to it when apple gets their admin sorted out but um to advertise what's going on next and to you know how these things grow is that you tell other people and say, hi, listen to this uh, guy. He's talking about all this stuff. Seems useful. Share it around with people, social media groups that you're in or anybody to do with sailing. And um, that's how we grow it. And then we have the opportunity to do more interesting things along the line. But uh, coming up in the next part of this bit about uh, abandonment, which will be like part five, um, we're going into um, water and food rationing. <laughs> interesting. Uh what else we got here? Oh, and what kind of food you should be eating and how you divide everything out. Um, some examples of when this has happened. The USS Indianapolis attacked by a Japanese submarine. That looks good. Long-term survival techniques. Collect rainwater at every opportunity. I'm just reading a few things here. Solar stills. Hand-operated desalinators. Uh, Chit-chat about Steve Callahan and his uh, 77 days adrift. Forward osmosis water packs. If you haven't heard of those, those are brilliant. 
what's on the menu? Catching fish from the life raft, flying fish, turtles, seabirds, keeping uh, food cool and how to dry, thing, dry things so that you can have uh, dried fish uh, many days after the actual fish itself has uh, um, been butchered. Methods of keeping cool, um, sea anchors. What else we got here? <clears throat> Don't get into the water to cool down. You may not be able to get back on the raft. And then a big summary. So that's what will be in the in the last one um, coming up next. We're at 55 minutes here, so I think I'll uh, leave it for today so we get a nice um, chunk into the next one, which looks then that it is also talking about um, dealing with um, different climates. We did talk about that a little bit, about the fact that, you know, you might be stuck in a hot environment, not a cold environment. That's got its own challenges with it. So that'll be next. But uh, if you haven't already, check out the Mariner's Library. That's pretty interesting. I did some uh, stories which were from a, an anthology called White Sails Shaking. There's 24 stories in the anthology. But looking at the uptake on the podcast, I started to realize that people probably don't want to hear an individual story 20 minutes long each day. They want to get involved in a story and see how it plays out over a couple of weeks, which is what normally happens. So I brought the anthology White Cell Shaking to a halt at story 10 and then moved on to the Slocum book, um, The Search for Captain Slocum, which is starting this week, which is uh, Slocum's birth week, I think it's the appropriate time to do it. I'm going to put the rest of the stories from the White Cell Shaky Anthology over on Patreon. So you can pick them up at uh, patreon.com forward slash the Mariner. But um, I hope that this continues to remain uh, interesting for you. It's a funny thing to have to talk about being on a life raft and um, how to deal with it. But I say again, only that the most serious seamanship challenge of your life may not come on board your vessel or indeed any vessel you might have uh, examined uh, previously. It might well be that the the boat that actually ends up shaping your life experience most strongly is the life raft, um, the, the one that you've never had any time in, never trained for and don't know what all the equipment is. So it's a bit crazy to be doing um, five parts over <laughs> abandonment into a life raft, although we are just following what's here in Chapter 7 of the RAC Survival Handbook. But I hope that if just 10% of it you know, catches home inside your mind and you're ever, it's hope never in that kind of situation. But if you're ever in that situation, some part of it starts to uh, come down to you. And if you have to only ever remember one thing, it's look after each other. And uh, that's the best you can hope for. The other thing to get quite gloomy about it is the fact that, you, you know, you might all die in this life raft. It has happened a lot of times. Um, I read the Bombard story, Alan, Dr. Alan Bombard going across the Atlantic in a, a eight foot Avon raft in the 1960s to try and promote uh, other methods for seafarers to survive. He was doing that because an estimated 125,000 people a year died in open boats and rafts on the ocean. Now we've got better than that. We've got EPER, we've got all of these things now we can do, but um, it might not work out well, in which case what you're doing is you are the MC at the last party anybody's ever going to go to in that boat. And so it has to be positive and it has to be uplifting and it has to have hope and it has to have all of the hallmarks of success, even though on this occasion, maybe you did everything right. It just didn't work out. And that's you go to sleep and that's the end of that. If that's so, make that gracious, make that wonderful. If you're going to survive, have it said that, you know, the boat went down, but my God, he was amazing in the raft afterwards. That's also OK. Don't be in a situation where you're actually only in the life raft for, you know, 12 hours and you're an absolute idiot and uh, some kind of disciplinarian, stentorian type uh, 
Captain Bloodfigure, um, and you're the one that sank the boat as, a boat as well. So whatever's the outcome going to be, there's definitely nothing other than looking after each other. And it is actually an opportunity to see the very, very best in people. It's uh, surprising how that suddenly comes to the surface in these kind of situations. But let's not worry about any of that now. Let's keep the boat safe. Let's keep the boat under us. And then we won't have to worry about the little scary orange boat that we can launch out the back in case it all gets too bad. That'll just stay tucked up in its nice white box. But uh, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, I hope that you are safe and sound. I honestly mean that. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you as always in the next one. Cheers. 